did I tell you, uh, Brian, that we record these sermons so that people around the world have a chance to listen to the podcast? So I turn it on there for that. And uh, it's always interesting and amazing to me what happens when people do listen to podcasts. And sometimes um, they get blessed. And uh, I'll hear about it somewhere. Uh, somebody will write something to me. Uh, I'm always amazed at, you know, the number of countries. Um, like, for example, I, I've been to Spain, but I haven't done a lot of ministry in Spain. But the podcast seems to go all right in Spain. I don't know why. I don't know who it is that's listening, but <laughs> praise God for that. And so the congregation is a lot larger that's, than what we actually see here on a Sunday morning. And so we can pray um, for those uh, as those folks as well. Um, Philippines is another country where there's a, a where there's a lot of folks listening to the podcast, and uh, so there is a, an, an, a, a lot of uh, life I trust going forth um, about these things. Well, the context of Luke 21, which is where we're at, we're going to be reading from 25 to 38 this morning. Um, the context is this, that Jesus has made his entrance into Jerusalem. The crowds have welcomed him. They're, they cried out, you know, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. The crowds are meeting him in the in the temple. As a matter of fact, at the end of our, our lesson this morning, it says that he got up early in the morning and went to the temple and the crowds were already there. You can imagine the people, the throngs of people that are listening to Jesus. You can imagine that there's been people who've been healed and touched by his ministry, the life change, everything is going great guns. You would think this is, this is some great event that's, that's gaining in momentum and everything's wonderful. If you're one of the disciples, boy, you're part of this incredible movement. It's a great thing. And in the background, you have these leaders who are plotting, trying to find a way to kill Jesus. So they don't like the idea that Jesus is so popular and all this stuff is happening. And so they're trying to get rid of him so that they can regain their authority and their position. And some of that, I think, is real jealousy or envy um, in terms of their... But some of it, I think, is that they just don't see Jesus being the Messiah and the fulfillment of Scripture. And so they have a religious objection to this, that, that they are concerned that the people are being led astray by someone who isn't the right one to follow, and that they have the right ideas and the right theology. They're the right uh, ones who know what's best for the people. <clears throat> and so you have this, this little group out on the side that's plotting. <clears throat> Excuse me, the folks, the crowds, don't necessarily see that. And the leaders are afraid of the crowds that are gathering around Jesus. Now, this is the situation coming up to what we normally call the Passover, or for us as Christians, Easter time. 
And in the midst of this, where Jesus is talking to his disciples and he's talking to uh, the crowds that are there, he doesn't even object to talking to the leaders and leaves them speechless in the process. And here we've got <clears throat> this incredible setting where you would think this is going to rise to a crescendo. Maybe the kingdom of God is finally going to be established. Roman rule will be abolished. And once again, uh, Israel is going to rise in its political star in the world. Maybe that's what you're thinking. And so Jesus, who has on the side been trying to tell his disciples exactly what's going to happen and tells them that he is going to suffer and he's going to die and on the third day he's going to be raised from the dead and they sit there scratching their heads saying wait a minute how can that happen when I see this movement that uh, an incredible glorious movement everything is in our favor everything's going our way how, how can that be so th they're blinded to what is actually about to happen they don't see what in just a few days time is going to take place and that Jesus is going to be arrested, betrayed, and he's going to be whipped and judged, uh, and he's going to die on a cross. They, they don't see that, but Jesus does. And in the midst of it, while he's telling people, he has this incredible ability to communicate, and he sees people in the temple marveling at the architecture of the temple and, and the things that people have put there as vows that they've made to God. And Jesus listens to their conversation, turns around to his disciples, and he says, the day is coming that not one stone is going to be left unturned of this building. Here they are, you know, appreciating what a beautiful facility it is. And he says, this is all going to be destroyed. Jerusalem is going to be destroyed. He starts to prophesy about things that are going to happen. We know that it wasn't that many years later, in AD 70, when the city was destroyed and the temple was destroyed. That's a near prophecy. But he also turns to the disciples and he says, you are going to be persecuted. Some of you are going to be put to death. This is very encouraging prophecy. <laughs> He's sitting there telling them, men are going to arrest you, put you into prison. They're going to find you in the synagogues. And the interesting thing is that because Luke is the only one who actually writes about the beginning history of the church through the Acts of the Apostles, that he not only writes what the prophecy is, he also instructs us in Acts of how that prophecy was fulfilled. He lets you know who got arrested. Stephen got killed. He got stoned to death. And James was arrested and killed. And, and, and you've got all the others that are, that are going through this persecution, this diaspora where the, the Christians are chased out. Of, the, of Israel, and, and they end up going to other countries, including Syria, where uh, the church in Antioch becomes the main missionary sending 
region of the world. It's a fascinating thing, but he looks at it, and Jesus is telling the disciples this is going to happen. Now, there are three parts to the prophecy that he shares in Luke 21. And the first two parts we know about that have come to pass because the early church was persecuted. We know that Jerusalem and the temple were destroyed. If you go to Jerusalem today, you just see remnants. There's a wall, the, West, the Wailing Wall, they call it, is all that's left of the uh, temple, of Solomon's temple. Now, in, in, in all of this stuff, because the first two have been fulfilled, the third one, you know, is also going to be fulfilled. The confidence that we have in the third prophecy is important for the life of the church. That's you and me. <laughs> the church is not a building. The church is people. And the church is made up of people who love God with their whole hearts. So let's turn in the midst of this. We're still in everything's going good. And Jesus is wanting to teach his disciples something to prepare them for life that is going to come and how they're going to survive in the midst of all the turmoil that's about to come upon them. They don't see that because everything's still going good, right? So we look at 21 verses 25 to the end. And he continues the prophecy. And there will be signs in sun and moon and stars and upon the earth, dismay among the nations and perplexity at the roaring of the sea and the waves, men fainting from fear and the expectation of the things which are coming upon the world for the powers of the heavens will be shaken. And then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. And when these things begin to take place, straighten up or stand up and lift up your heads because your redemption is drawing near. And he told them a parable. Behold, the fig tree and all the trees, as soon as they put forth leaves, you see it and know for yourself that summer is now near. Even so, you too, when you see these things happening, recognize that the kingdom of God is near. Truly, I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. Be on guard that your hearts may not be weighted down with dissipation and drunkenness and the worries of life, and that the day will come on you suddenly like a trap, for it will come upon all those who dwell on the face of the earth. But keep on the alert at all times, praying in order that you may have strength to escape all these things that are about to take place and to stand before the Son of Man. Now during the day he was teaching in the temple, but at evening he would go out and spend the night on the mount that is called Olivet. And all the people would get up early in the morning to come to him in the temple and listen to him. Now, this last part, I didn't do the whole prophecy on one go because this last part I think is very critical. 
there's a threefold message here. The first part is the Son of Man will return. And the second one is we need to lift up our heads. We need to stand up and look up. We've got to have an approach to when the Son of Man comes that our expectation and our courage and our hope are secure. And the third thing is we need to guard our hearts. We need to make sure that our hearts are settled in the things that pertain to God. Now the conditions surrounding the return of Christ, interestingly enough, deals with an awful lot of repetition. I find that fascinating. What Jesus is doing in this last bit of prophecy is he's reminding his disciples of things that he has been teaching them all along. It's not something new. When he starts talking about the Son of Man, he has been talking about himself in the position of who he is here on earth. We know that he's the Son of God. Some would call him the Son of David, like blind Bartimaeus, who cried out, Son of David, have mercy on me, because they know that the Son of David is the Messiah that is coming to save the world. But Jesus looks at himself as being the servant of man. He's come in the form of a man, not to rule and, and to be empowering over people, but to serve people and to redeem them. He understands his purpose. So when he speaks of himself, he speaks of the Son of Man. And when he talks about his return, he's looking at two things and he wants them to understand that. When he dies, he will return. He needs to know that when he is crucified and he's placed in a tomb as dead, when his body has been mauled and beaten beyond recognition, that within three days he will return. That's an important part. He returns <laughs> and he comes back healed. How many of you have, have gotten a cut and all you've got left is the scar. And you say that's healed. Well, the scars that Jesus showed us were only his hands and his feet. <laughs> Just think about the rest of them. He was beaten. Crown of thorns. His back was ripped bare with, 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 a, with a whip that had little pieces of bone on the edge of it. A lot of people died from those kinds of whippings. And, and here, Jesus wants them to know the Son of Man's coming back. Not only is he going to come back then, he will return at the culmination of time. And he will also return to each one of us who believes in him. Now, I look at that and I've got to say the coming of the Son of Man, whether he comes to us individually in salvation, whether he comes back and we know that he's alive from the dead, or whether he's coming again on the clouds of glory with all the saints with him and the angels, and the clouds are parting and the dead are going to rise, and we're all going, oh, what a glorious day that's going to be. The thing is, he doesn't tell us when that day is. There's no temporal time given here. 
I know that when Jesus returns, it's a great day. And if I knew that Jesus was coming back this afternoon, I'd preach the same message. <laughs> I'm not going to change what I do from a day-to-day thing out of fear that maybe Jesus is coming back. I want to live each day as God instructs me to live it. And when he appears, I'm going to rejoice in that day. It's going to be an exciting day. Now, he talks about the Son of Man throughout his whole life. In in, uh, verse 27 here, he says to him, he says, listen, when they see the Son of Man coming with the, the cloud, he'll come with power and great glory. So when he's raised from the dead, do you think that was with power? <laughs> and what about the glory of God in the empty tomb? I, I just think about that for a minute. When he comes and redeems our lives from destruction, who else has the power to forgive sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness, to deliver us from demonic oppression. Who has the the power other than Jesus? Our missionaries in Mozambique, when, when this one imam who hated them couldn't see his wife delivered from demonic forces and had gone to all the witch doctors and had done everything that they knew what to do within their beliefs, both animistic and Muslim beliefs. They brought the wife to the Christians who prayed for her and she was gloriously delivered with power of all the demons in her life, just set free and was so amazed that the imam gives his life to Jesus and preaches Jesus in the mosque. I'm sitting there going, this is power and great glory. It's incredible. I'm sitting there when Jesus, the Son of Man, returns, whether it's in our lives, or it's going to be at the culmination of this age, and it's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. I want to tell you, whichever one it is, every time the Son of Man shows up, it's with power and great glory. And when does he begin to tell them about this? Well, how about in Luke 9, where verse 26, it says, For whoever is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his glory, and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. In Luke 11, he says, For just as Jonah became a sign to the Ninevites, so will the Son of Man be to this generation. In Luke 12, and I say to you, everyone who confesses me before men, the Son of Man will confess him also before the angels of God. In Luke 12, again, you too be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour that you do not expect. And in Luke 17, he said the days will come when you will long to see one of the days of the Son of Man, and you will not see it. For I will say to you, look there, look here, do not go away, and do not run after them. For just as the lightning, when it flashes out of one part of the sky, shines to another part of the sky, so will the Son of Man be in his day. But first he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. 
And just as it happened in the days of Noah, so it will also be in the days of the Son of Man. They were eating, they were drinking, they were marrying, they were being given in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. It was the same as it happened in the days of Lot. They were eating, they were drinking, they were buying, they were selling, they were planting, and they were building. But on the day that Lot went out from Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. It will be just the same on the day when the Son of Man is revealed. In Luke 18, he says, I tell you that he will bring about justice for them quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes... Will he find faith on earth? You see, there is a theme that Jesus was teaching throughout his ministry. And now, at the end of that earthly ministry, in days before he dies, he reminds them, using the wording of a whole ministry of three years of what he's been instructing them and telling them, that when the Son of Man comes... It's going to happen with power and great glory. That is fascinating to me. That in just a few words, he starts to remind them about themes that he has been teaching them and that are present throughout his life. Another, another one is in, in verse 28 here, says, when you see these things take place, straighten up, lift up your heads, because your redemption is drawing near. What does that mean? That the liberation, the freedom that God comes to provide us is on its way, it's coming. It's a, it's a story that is also a theme throughout his ministry, a ministry of setting free those who are oppressed. His understanding of his ministry is explained it uh, in, in Luke chapter 4, where he stands up that the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He has anointed me to set free those who are captive. He's anointed me to set about freedom and liberation, liberation from sin, liberation from oppression, liberation in an eternal way. This is an incredible message. And he sits down with them in this moment saying, there are these things that are going to come and that are going to take place. You need to be aware of them. And then what happens in this whole process, the repetition, he reminds them that the devil's plot is to steal, to kill, and to destroy. These things will happen because that's what the devil does. <laughs> it's going to happen around you. You can be aware of that. But the devil's objective, whenever he sees the kingdom of God being established and moving forward with power, is he opposes it. And so he brings about destruction. That's what the devil does. That's what all of his demons are out there to do. We do know that Jesus is the light. And when light shines in the darkness, the darkness cannot overcome it. And so he is bringing about a preparation for his disciples. They need to have in the midst of the things when the Son of Man returns, what do they need to have? 
they need to have a hope and a confidence and courage to stand up in the midst of whatever the devil might throw at you. The reason why he shares these things is not because he's trying to be mean to us or trying to be mean to his followers and say, the world's about ready to implode and and life is going to get really tough and difficult and, and woe is you because of all this. No, he's warning you that these things are going to come to pass so that you can stand up, lift up your head, and know that God is for you in the midst of whatever the devil throws against you. The power of Jesus is greater. We need to understand that God is for us and has made available to us everything that Jesus has in the Holy Spirit. Now, we look at things differently. We don't look at power from a worldly concept of power, whether it's economic power or political power. That's the way the world looks at things. When we're looking at power from a godly perspective, we're seeing the power to love enemies. The power to redeem situations that have gone bad. The power to have wisdom to react to situations the way Jesus reacts to situations. We're looking at power to love. And you can't do that if you haven't been empowered by God's Spirit. And God's Spirit gives us the ability to hope in the face of incredible opposition and difficulties that may come our way. Is that incredible? So the verse here that when all these things happen, he says, men's hearts are fainting them for fear. Just think about what all happened during COVID here and how the world was shaken and things have gone crazy. Cost of wood has gone through the ceiling. Can't buy a new car. <laughs> Just think about that. My son is going to come down for my birthday from, uh, from Nashville and he sends me a note, says, can you pick me up from the airport? And I'm sitting there going, um, yeah, we'll arrange that, but that's interesting. So I called him yesterday. I said, you know, we'll leave a car down at your sister's house in, in Myrtle Beach, and you can catch an Uber to her house from the airport and, and drive uh, that car back. But why don't you hire a car? I mean, it's not like you can't hire a car. He says, there aren't any cars to hire. I said, why? He said, well, because during COVID, nobody was traveling, and so nobody was hiring cars. Nobody was renting cars. And so the car rental companies had to sell their cars to keep afloat during COVID, and now they have to resupply the cars that they sold, and in order to resupply the cars, you have to build cars, and cars were being built on demand, and so the key components, primarily the computer um, inserts that you need to run the computers in the cars, they aren't available because nobody supplied them other than Toyota. They were the only ones that, because they'd gone through a tsunami and they realized they would have to have a stockpile 
this was several years ago, they'd have to have a stockpile of critical components in order to build cars if there was disasters. <laughs> They're the only ones that have the components so that they can build cars. But of course, all these car companies want to buy cars, and so you just can't find them. And if you can't find them, the price is wild. But he says, enterprise doesn't have any cars. Budget doesn't have any cars. So <laughs> we're stuck. I'm sitting there going, that's interesting, isn't it? And, and so we've, we're, naturally, if there's big demand and low supply, the cost goes through the roofs. And that's what's happening all around because of this COVID situation that we've been in. A lot of things that people have lost jobs, people don't know how to, how to work through things. I'm sitting there thinking it's just kind of like reading this, isn't it? And then the fear that people have had in the midst of it all. And he says, when these things take place, stand up, lift up your heads, your redemption is coming. And your, your liberation, your freedom is coming. I love that. Because in the midst where everything round about us looks like it's falling apart, Jesus says you have a hope and a confidence and assurance that's going to bring you through. I, I just love that. He goes on to make sure we understand that that confidence and insurance is reliant upon our faith and that we don't quit and give up. And that's the last part which is really applicable to each one of us. The application here is this. Be on your guard. Protect your hearts that you're not going to be weighted down. And he talks about dissipation, drunkenness, worries of life. Again, that goes back to the sower and the seed. Remember the, in the parable of the sower and the seed that some of the seed fell amongst the thorns, and when it sprang up, the thorns choked the life out of it. And when they asked him, what does that mean? He says, that seed represents the worries and cares of life looking for the pleasures of the world, that when those things, you place your hope in those things, when it comes along and it'll choke out the life of God. And, and so he's clear. He's saying to them, listen, there's something that you need to do. And this happens, by the way, is one of the reasons why Christians gather together. Wherever they gather together, you need to not neglect gathering together. Why? because we encourage one another in our faith. We pray and build one another up. We worship together, which causes our, like Jan just says, just listening to your prayers was an encouragement to me this morning. There's something that happens in the presence when people are together. Your hearts are strengthened in faith in spite of the difficulties that are coming our way. I tell you, this is an exciting time when we begin to protect ourselves from falling into the deceitful traps of the devil and the cares of this world, lust and abandonment of, of being obedient to God. So we do that by being alert in prayer and actually, if you do end up in a position of lust, what does Jesus say? 
James, he says, run away from it. Don't put yourself in a position where you're enticed to fail. Escape from it. Run away from the devil's lies and his entreaties. I, I love this whole approach. He doesn't have to sit down and say when this time happens, but this is what happens to each one of us. It's not that the enemy attacks uh, people that are already in his camp. He's looking for those that are, are <laughs> on the enemy's, his enemy's side, on the side of God. And so we need to be alert, we need to pray, and we need to flee youthful lusts, whether that's something that's going to cause us to be concerned about the worries of the world or the pleasures of the world, and look for the things that are of eternal, eternal value. I know it's difficult when things are going so well for us to think of what happens when a pandemic arises and nobody's prepared for it. What happens when Jesus sits down and tells us these things are going to happen? Your preparation is in the level of your faith. And that's where we find both the hope and the courage to stand up in the midst of it. It's where we find the answers in loving one another and caring for one another. I love the, the reality that Jesus is able to speak into the future, not only addressing his disciples then, but his disciples today. And that's you and me. And he's here to give us the confidence we need so that we don't lose heart, but that we protect our hearts have hope and courage in the face of whatever difficulties the devil may throw in our path. We may not be being thrown to lions, but we do have struggles. And in the midst of that, we need not to falter, but whatever our struggles are, to stand up, lift up our heads, and know that Jesus brings about the deliverance that we need in our lives. Lord Jesus, as we, as we look at this incredible prophecy that you spoke to equip your disciples to face the times that were going to be full of difficulty, and, and they couldn't understand that because everything was going so good and so well for them at the moment that you shared this. But yet you prepared them for what was ahead by being clear about all the things that would come to pass. And you're clear to us too, to let us know that you're with us in whatever the circumstances are that surround us in our lives. We too can lift up our heads. We can stand up with confidence and courage in the face of opposition. And we can take a stand knowing that your word will never pass away. We can stand on something that is eternal, that has value, 
and that is eternal. We thank you for that. We thank you for that. We thank you for it from, from our hearts. And we ask, Father, that you would teach each one of us individually and as families to stand strong, guarding our hearts from the things that the devil would use to draw us aside and astray. Renew, renew our faith, renew our love. For you we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.